let's go on. I, I want to talk to you this morning. I know we have an exciting week coming up. And as Stephen said, it's a little bit of an anxious week because there's a lot happening. There's, I don't think there's ever been. And it, it's because it's election week. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's that year. It's that time. And it's that place that we're at. And um, you know, I don't think there's ever been as many. And I don't know. I could be. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just going off of what's in my head is is as many propositions as we had this year so there's so many changes that are that are working on being implemented into our country as far as like uh uh just stuff that seems absolutely just silly and stuff that's absolutely really extremely important um but it's all it's all on this week's ballot i don't know how many of you already voted and mailed off or sent your yeah (laughs) hallelujah you didn't raise your hand, get your butt in gear, right? Oh man, it's like got to happen. I will tell you, there's, if, if anything, we, we are in this kind of odd space in, in our culture, which is, and, and this isn't, I'm not going to give you any voter's guide, okay? This isn't, a, this isn't a message about that. I think you can find those on your own and, and ask the Lord for, for wisdom on, on voting and all that stuff. But we, we are, uh, you know, we're just, we seem to be so... Uh, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but we're, we're, we're very skeptical of how things can turn out. And we're like, I don't know if just because we're, we we're having a hard time trust the system, right? Are we not? Or is anybody in that same category? I just want to affirm and encourage you this morning that God is not like that. God is trustworthy. The most trustworthy element on the planet, if you can think of it, whether it be concrete, whether it be rock, whether it be ground or dirt or Whatever thing that you can think of that is the most trustworthy. In other words, when you walk on it, you, you're not thinking, oh no, is it going to collapse? You guys with me there? Go there somewhere on something. You could be right here in this room, although we have a ceiling and walls, and you know, we, we've known from experience that things can collapse. So even in this room, there's this, there could be, now that I planted that seed of of doubt and fear and, and skepticism in your mind, you, like, can it collapse on me? But I want to tell you and assure you that God is not collapsible. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. He is stronger. He is a mighty fortress. God can be trusted. And if anything that ha- ha- is happening that God, I feel, is doing in our midst, in believers' hearts and minds and souls, is to assure and affirm them that, trust me, I am a good, good father, and I love you. I'm a good God. We need to just remember that, know that, learn that. Let's get on board with who God is. Hallelujah. Amen. Man, this is going to be a good Sunday. I could tell it already. The Holy Spirit's moving, and I love it. I love when the Holy Spirit just like, boom, He just gets right in the midst of our craw. And, and I'm gonna, there's another thing that the Lord gave me. This isn't, had nothing to do with my notes. like... As I was just praying, and, and I, I really do, I pray, I pray for at least, uh, uh, I pray for an amount of time. I don't like time myself, but I pray for an amount of time in tongues, in my spirit, to where I'm, I'm, I'm making every attempt that I physically, mentally, spiritually can possible to align what comes out of my mouth to be what God wants you to hear. So uh, me asking that God speak through me, I'm also asking for God's Spirit to open your ears to hear what God wants to hear. So I believe 100%, 100% in the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into your life where you're at. And it probably, more than likely, 
has nothing to do with anything I'm saying. That's awesome. That's the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. But he wants you to hear something really neat right now. Is this. Is he wants, this is not a message to cross anybody up, to conflict with maybe something that you have gotten. Um, and, you, you know, I think that takes a little bit of a, a moment to explain because if anybody's here in this room right now that they feel like they've just got it all correct and right, I pray for you. Um, you'll get crossed up this morning. But this isn't to cross you up. This is to take you deep. But here's the, here's the issue that, that is at play right now, is to go deep into the foundation of who God is and to go deep into, into who He is and who you are in Him. To get deep, to get deep, you got to get dirty. To get deep, you got to do some... Here's what you really have to do, and I think the Lord showed me this, is to dig down deep, you have to remove a lot of stuff of the earth. You have to remove a lot of earth. You got to get a stuff of the world dug out of the way to get to the deep things of God. Now that's a challenge because sometimes the stuff of this world and the stuff of earth seems to make a little bit of sense to where I like that. That makes me feel good. I like how that sounds. That helps me to understand. That might make a little bit of sense. And you know what? It's stuff of earth. And he's saying, I want you to get into the deep things of me. And that might be a little bit of challenge. So if it seems like it's crossing you up, just go deep. Go deep. And I want to challenge us to go deep together this morning. Gosh, I got four pages of notes and I haven't even started. Romans 8.28. Let's go there. How many of you love that verse, right? How many of you can off the, oh, well, can quote it, the whole thing? From memory. All right. Really? <laughs> the entire verse. Just the entire verse. What, what we like to quote is the first half, right? It's the most, I think I said it in my text, it's the most half-quoted verse of the Bible. What does that mean? In other words, it's the verse that we quote the first half of it mostly <laughs> and not the second half. The first half is what? God works all things for good. Heard that one a hundred thousand, maybe more times, correct? Right? You get a flat tire on the side of the road, well, God's going to work all things for good. Right? Somehow this is going to be a, a, a blessing, correct? Isn't that like what we like to tell ourselves? Can God work a flat tire into a blessing? Absolutely. A hundred percent he can. I don't know how many times in my day, in my walk, in my week, in my life that God has used something that has been a little bit of a challenge or a difficulty or a trial to work something out for good. But I want us to take the whole passage of Scripture. I want us to look at the um, kind of the context of it for a minute. And if we get into the farther part of my notes, that's great. If we don't, we got next week to come back to, right? Amen. So I'm going to start verse 18 of Romans chapter 8 to kind of head back there. And this is in the New Living Translation. I know that we, uh, we like to 
you know, pull verses out of the Bible and say, wow, this is great, and let's look what this is. And, but you get into the deep part of that verse when you get into the, the entire context of that verse and what Paul is speaking of and what he's referring to. Um, <laughs> before I say that, you guys, I love, I love, the, I love the statement, and, I, and I, I think I had heard Bill Johnson say it, so, oh, i got to steal that, but I just um, gave him credit for it, so I'm really not stealing it. I'm actually giving him credit for it. Is it is that Jesus is not politically correct, but he is correct in all things. And we're in a realm, and we're in a world, and we're in a space and time and place that we need to just be looking to Jesus. Um, there's a lot of confusion, even amongst Christian brothers and sisters and family members, and it's like, I don't know, there's never been such a conflict and challenge to, to align political ideals that as now than ever before and i think that that's why we just if we just all look to jesus i think we're gonna we're gonna end up on the right side because he is correct amen amen and he's good theology i i believe that you look to him you're gonna have good good grounded theology so romans 8 18 let's go back there and let's start there let's see what this context of this passage is talking about i'm gonna actually read quite a few verses, and I'm not going to apologize for reading quite a few verses of the Bible. I've heard preachers do that. I apologize for actually reading so much of the Bible as though, and, and I'm always like, why would you apologize for reading the Bible? But I've heard them say that, and I'm like, I think because we've developed in, into this, this kind of mindset that's like, well, I want to I hear what the preacher has to say about the Bible. It's like, no, I want to hear what the Bible says, and the preacher's words are just, they're just his words, Right? I mean, so anything I say is just what I say, but God, the Holy Spirit, speaks through His Word so poignantly, so clearly, so precisely, and so direct, right into my very soul, dividing my, the very thoughts of my, my heart, and, and ex, even exposing them. And sometimes it's like, that's, that's actually a good thing. So let me get into it. 8.18, or yeah, there it is, Romans. It says, <laughs> I'll get there eventually. Yeah, bless you, ladies. Thanks for coming today. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal. This is in the uh, New Living Translation, by the way, is what I'm reading out of. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. So listen to the context of what He's talking about here as He gets into this. It says, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal who his children really are against against its will all creation was subject to god's curse but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join god's children in glorious freedom from death and decay for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time and we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for the eager hope. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies as He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something that we don't need to hope for, 
But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew, listen to this, this gets really good. That was just leading up to that. It gets really, really good. I mean, this is really, really good stuff. Did I say that once already? It's really, really good stuff. I mean, this is really good, is what I'm trying to say. I'm really, I actually really like it too. And it's really, really good. <laughs> uh, speaking of really good, Hunter decided to make some pumpkin apple muffins. Oh man, they were really, really good. That's what I was thinking. Like, I, I instantly went to food, and the last thing I ate that was really, really good was Hunter's pumpkin apple His muffins. That's so good. So good. Yeah. Okay, verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. Woo! Oh, I'm not stopping. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Is God, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? What's the answer? Absolutely no. For as the scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Oh, now it gets better. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. 
The Word of God is powerful. Amen? That is great stuff. Now, when I read all of that, and there's that one little verse right in the middle of it, doesn't it, if anything, when I have ever interpreted that verse to make it to sound like, if I get a little flat tire, boy, God is... No, man, what this is describing is the full picture of God's grace and love and kindness and goodness to us as His created beings that He loves so dearly. He's made in His image. And I, He created us back at, at the beginning to be like Him and to be glorious and to, to live and dwell with Him in His presence and to have this communion with Him that was wide open and free. And we tainted it. We, we destroyed it. We're the ones that surrendered that by sin. And then He bought us back. <laughs> That's such great. Oh man, isn't that glorious? That Jesus bought us back. Even though we surrendered all this freedom and all that glorious grace and um, goodness, we surrendered it and He paid it back. Redeemed us. And what is happening from here to now till then? He's working all things. He's causing all things and everything to work together for the good and the glory of God that we may make Him known. Because we are called according to His purpose. And if you're called according to purpose, His purpose, do you love God? Absolutely. When we say, yes, I love God and I'm called to be His, you are aligning yourself with his will to, to be used by Him to make Him known to many others. And when we do that, He's going to work out everything in your life to keep that, that that's going to be the will of God in your life. All things are going to work. He's going to cause all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Until we get to that glorious day of his return and this is gone and we are with Glenn in the air ha how hallelujah is that going to be <laughs> beyond the words that we can express beyond the understanding that we can actually comprehend here and now I'm going to tell you that right now so when I start to say this is what God is like this, I'm telling you I'll, all I'm doing I'm making a feeble attempt to try to explain a glorious and grand God that's above my understanding, above my thoughts, but I love that He calls us. Isn't it so amazing that He calls us His own and has given us His Spirit, that life within us. The life within us. There's a... There's a um, a commentary that, that, I, that I read that I love what he says here, so I'm going to read it. Since, since Romans 8.28 is a familiar verse, we should slow down and really examine the detail of it that it contains. Paul, Paul doesn't claim that all things work together. Paul does not claim that all things work together for good for everyone. He has a specific subject of people in mind. He first describes this, this group of those who love God. And then he recharacterizes them as those who are called according to his purpose. This recharacterization specifies how we should understand the working together for good. It's not our definition of what good is. 
He calls it with a specific, uh, the good that God has in mind with a specific purpose in His mind. Jeremiah 20 and 9, 11 says this, For I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, and in and, and the, the verse 12 and 13, he talks about, Seek me while you can find me. You know, pray to me and I will answer, I will listen, and I will come to you. But do you know right, right before that, that, Jeremiah 29, if you read the entire chapter, do you know what he tells the people what's happening before then? 70 years of what? Come on, you guys know the history a little bit. Captivity. Saying you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Oh, but I have good plans for you. <laughs> you're like, well, wait, God, you just spun me around, twisted me up. You're like, you know, do, 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 do. Okay, now go that way. No, what he's saying is just because you might think that this is what you think God's goodness looks like, let me tell you what I have greater plans than what even you can ask or imagine or think that are for your goodness They're because I am good. Isn't that fantastic? That even in the midst of that, that promise that it's another verse that we like to quote, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? But I know the plans for you. Read the context of it. It's like, wait, this is right before captivity. I mean, captivity wasn't this nice little captivity thingy. You know, we read about it. I mean, you're talking, you were subject to another authority, another governing authority that told you when you will wake up, when you will go to bed, what you will eat and how you will work, how much you will pay, get paid, where you will live. He told you everything you were going to do. It wasn't pleasant. Right? You guys, it doesn't, he's like, he's like, wait, it sounds like my mom. No, no, just kidding. Prison. It's called prison. That's what it was called. He said, but wait, I, have, I know the plans I have for you. Isn't this crazy? Isn't this fantastic? So let me, let me finish on this commentary. I... I, I uh, gosh, this is fun stuff, right? You guys good? Anybody crossed up yet? Okay, good. Nice. We'll, we'll keep, I'll keep you as long, as long as I can. I know these plans for a future and a hope. In other words, it's bigger than just getting a flat tire. It's bigger than that. I, I, I'm using that as an illustration. Please don't, if that offends you, I'm sorry. But, you, you know, it's bigger than that. Your life God's plan is bigger than you getting all your bills paid to this week or this month, bigger than, than, than your card running correctly. It's bigger than that. And that's what he's getting us and aligning us with. It says, and we can have full confidence, which I believe is, it, that's what faith is, full confidence, that all these things we face, including any and all of our present suffering, God is doing the work using all things as part of a larger plan that God has ordained for good, even in the midst of corrupt government. Even in the midst of corrupt government. Amen? Jesus perfectly placed himself, <laughs> and he did, and he's perfectly placed you in time and space right where you are, just like right where he was. The governing authorities during Jesus' time were extremely corrupt. We think that we have, might have a corrupt governor or 
county leader or somebody might even at sometimes president. I don't believe that now. We don't have a corrupt president and our governor's just a little delusional and confused a little bit. But what we need to do, what we, but God has placed us perfectly here. Just as God has placed Jesus perfectly where he placed him. And he dealt with these, these things. I'm going to read a couple of passages of scripture I think I'm going to get into. I, I believe I'll have some, some time. This is, this is, I think this is a neat one. This is one that I like to go to as a, as a, of course you have Romans 13 also, but I'll read that too. Like I said, I think I got quite a few lengthy passages of scripture this morning and I'll, I'll do my, do my best to get through them. So if I just quit talking and reading the scripture, that might help. Luke chapter 20, verse 20, Luke chapter 20, verses 20 through 26. Says, watching for their opportunity, the leaders sent spies pretending to be honest men. They tried to get Jesus to say something that could be reported to the Roman governor, as he would arrest. So he would arrest Jesus, and they said, "Teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right, and are not influenced by what others think. You teach the way of God truthfully." <laughs> That's about as much smoke as you could blow. And these guys were blowing it. It says, now tell us, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through their trickery and he said, show me a Roman coin whose picture and title are stamped on it. Caesar's, they replied. Well, then he said, give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar and give to God that which belongs to God. So they failed to trap him by what he said in front of the people. Instead, they were amazed by his answer, and they became silent. Wouldn't that be a treat if they became silent in this day? Probably not going to happen. What is Jesus saying there, teaching us there? I think it's a really neat thing that he's teaching us, and I believe it's, it's, it, there's, a more, there's a deeper spiritual lesson in this than there is that political Understanding, but I think they go hand in hand, and they're, 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 they, they mix, and they, they actually are correct. Of course, Jesus said it, and he, everything he says is correct. Jesus basically says it. I think he breaks it down just like this. If you are utilizing the benefit of that which the authorities bring, then give them their due payment. Did you hear that? Okay. If you're driving on the road in which... The authorities have built and made and that bridge and that police force then you pay the taxes that you are required to pay did you hear that a little bit more clear if you are utilizing the benefit that which the authorities bring then give them their due payment now how deep does that get because what did Jesus say give to Caesar that which is Caesar's what's the next phrase Give to God that which belongs to God. Oh, now we get fun here because this is great stuff because, yeah, you might have an issue with having to pay your taxes and respect and, and, and honor the authorities, whether it be the police, whether it be our city council members, whether it be our governor. You might have an issue with that, but God is very clear that you must give them the respect due and the honor due, and you must give to them that which is due. 
you must do that. That is your Christian duty. That is your civil duty. That is what we are required to do. That is a human duty. This wasn't the United States of America that Jesus is referring to. This is a corrupt Roman government. And Jesus says, still give to Caesar that which is Caesar's. But then he takes it the step farther and says, and give to God that which belongs to God. What belongs to God? Everything. <laughs> the breath that came, just came out of your mouth. That was God given. The step that you just took, that was God given. The job that you have, the wife that you have, the children that are, that are in your care, the parents that you were born under, those are all God given. Give God all of that. That belongs to God. So let's, you know, when we say we start get all crossed up about like what I do and don't, you know, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can resist the authorities. Nowhere does it say to do that. Oh, now I just crossed you up. You all looked at me like, what? So let's go there. Romans 13, 1 through 7. Are you, are you willing? Because he says it a little bit more straightforward. Thirteen, thirteen of, of Romans, starting verse one. Says, "Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." <laughs> so Jesus just said, "It all belongs to God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, you know that there's a Christian movement in our United States of America called the resistance." I'll just move on. I have no words other than, uh, hello? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror for terror to do, oh, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. I don't know why I was having time to read that. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God. Attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. He says it straight, straight, straight forward, Paul does. And all he's really doing is reiterating Jesus' words. Paul spent three years with Jesus in the desert. And I think that Paul had probably a fair amount of time to discuss this issue with Jesus himself. So Paul's sharing for us. He's giving to us. Now, what does that call us to do as believers when we are in the midst of 
what seems to be at times corrupt ruling. We pray like we've never prayed before. We fast. We get into our word. We get into the, the concept and the reality, and it's more than a concept because it needs to be it, absolutely 100% God has placed you and I as the church, the light, the salt in the world, to have an impact. To not just be a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, you know, social media voices. He, he's called us to actually be an impact, to have an impact, to make a difference in a world that is confused and lost and dying and decaying. Right? You know, I, I work with a lot of, I'm going to share just the next five minutes about something that I feel like the Lord, and Blake and I have this conversation quite a bit, and this is where we're, we, we talk about these things, and one of, the, one of the conversations that we get into quite often is the role of government and the role of the church in a community, in society. And sometimes we get them crossed up and a little bit confused. And right now we have a dynamic, fantastic re- relationship with, we do as a salt mine, as, as this body of believers, the charity, the church, a very fantastic relationship with the governing authorities of our city. We have a great relationship, but what happens sometimes, and we've seen it and I've seen it, is the governing authorities will attempt to do what the church is supposed to be doing because the church is not doing what the church is doing. So somebody has to step in and do what is supposed to be done in that community, and the government makes an attempt to do those things, like being, being, being benevolent, being kind, being a, a help to those in need. And when the government steps in and does it, it's all jacked up. It just gets screwed up. They just do it so wrong. And I'm not, they, they, they have good, I believe their intentions are really good. I think, kind of, sort of, I'm not going to judge intentions. But I really do believe, but they just can't do, because there's not, it's not the actual uh, impact that it's making. In other words, just putting band-aids on a bunch of little sores and owies in our community, where the church has the actual answer, right? Which is what? It's Jesus, right? Oh, gosh, I almost tricked you up there for a second, right? Heck no. Jesus is the answer. And that's when, when, when the answer is right in our midst and you are it. Let's not concede to the government that's, that wants to do these things. Let's say, how about we got this? And that's not an arrogant we got this. We got God with us. God is for us. God is within us. And God's called you and I and me to be, you and I and me, to be the salt, to be the light. Amen? Amen. And so I think that there's, we get a little mixed up. You know, yeah, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but render to God that which is God's. You and I are called to be salt and light. And that wasn't a suggestion Jesus didn't say, hey, would you guys like to be salt and light in kind of a screwed up world? No, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. There is no other salt but you in the earth. You are the light of the world. There is no other light but you on, in the world. That's what Jesus said, and that's true. Why are we conceding to something else that is not you being glorified as Jesus is glorified in you. Because that's what he said. Remember back there in Romans 8, chapter 8? said that 
my presence will be in you and you will be glorified as I am glorified in you. They'll see you, Jesus, in you. That's the answer. Hello? Amen. Amen. Now, now, it doesn't, oh, amen. You guys have heard that one. Oh, man, how many of you have heard that, 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 that philosophy? Like, he said, just because you pay your taxes and the government helps the poor people, that doesn't mean that you're helping the poor people. No, it really means it's, it, 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 it's the government has... Now, granted, I, I don't want to get into that because it's a, probably a long conversation, but back when, you know, the Social Security system, the welfare system, all those things started, was in a place and a time in our country where it was needed. I believe it was, it, it was meant to be a temporary fix for something, and we latched onto it as like, oh, well, here, this works, and it's, 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 it's faulty because it's not what it's supposed to be. I know that's another whole nother conversation. You would say, but I live on Social Security. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't mean it's the right way to, to actually live. And I think there's, when we trust God, oh man, when we trust God, I, I got to tell you, I, every, at every turn that I trust God, He does it so much better than I could do. Way better. A hundred thousand million times better than I could ever do when I just trust Him. Gosh. Just leave with that. Just leave with that. I don't know if I should get into this next element of... But I think I'm going to give it a go. If I can find my last page of notes. There it is. In Luke chapter 13, and I, I think that that's the, you know, another issue that was presented to Jesus. Like I said, Jesus was planted, he, he placed himself in a, in a tumultuous time. We are in tumultuous times, aren't, aren't we? In Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 1, this is an interesting scenario. And we get some words that Jesus, and this is why I want to leave us with this, because I think, feel like this is where we, we need to be focused, one of the places we need to be focused in this time. It says, there were some present at that very time who told Jesus, told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. <clears throat> Just to be, before, that, that might be like, what does that even mean to some of you, but I, I'm there's no historical account of this actually, where this actually happened and how this happened, but when, when they read the historical account of what kind of governor Pilate was, Pilate, Pilate and the Pilate who was the governing authority of that region was always in conflict with Herod, who was like the overseer, if you will, if you could kind of liken it to something that we are in, it's like a, a county ruler and the state ruler. And, and they, there's always this conflict, and they were always just like, because they just, they, they just, they didn't like each other. I think they were even related to some sort. I don't know, but they just were. So anytime Herod would do something, Pilate would want to up, upscale it, and so they, they just were, and they were evil people. They were, they were just not good. They were not good rulers, and so Pilate would do this regularly. He would do something that was just horrendous, 
and he even slaughter people just because, you know, well, you know, just to make Herod mad. He'd slaughter people. And this was something that happened quite regularly. And what, what had happened here was uh, some Galilean Jews who were, who were um, basically what had happened was they were on their way to worship and make sacrifice. And Pilate, Pilate intercepted them. Pilate came across them and he basically slaughtered them and mixed their blood with the sacrifice's blood. Just horrendous, horrible stuff. Um, whether it was for sport or whether there and there and then there was reports of some other, some uh, some Galileans that were that that would kind of revolt against the government and so this this could have been brought on by themselves it could have been you know this a lot of stuff basically it was evil against evil and and or if you want to describe it as that so just with that in mind this is what happened is they bring it to his attention Pilate who had mixed their the mingled mingled their blood with their sacrifices and he answered them this this is interesting how jesus answered them because i think this is where 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 i i have this if you will let me go back into to me what's going on i think in me and um, and i i love my wife so much that you know she she helps me understand i think what's going on inside of me better than more than i can she she's a great help to help me understand what's going on inside of me and so i was wrestling with this this Thing that's going on inside of me, and I, it's really, and Alfonso kind of hit it for a second there, but it even takes it to a deeper level inside of me, is uh, this, this it, it's really a grappling with faith and unbelief. And, and, and the faith that God has placed inside of me is a faith that also comes with an authority. And that authority that God has placed on me and, and through me and in me is something that God is, is working on establishing and grooming and, and constantly developing to have that authority of Christ, to have the authority as a pastor, a, 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 a spiritual authority in not just this church, but also in this community. And God is grooming and growing and establishing that in me. Well, there's this constant battle also inside of me that says, I am kind of like, I kind of go back to the Gideons, like, but who am I? Who am I to be used by you, God? I'm just a lowly person. I'm not educated. I, I don't have this. And God says, no, I have called you. He's constantly affirming that in me. I have called you and appointed you and anointed you to be a spiritual authority in this church and in this community. And so this wrestling match that goes on inside of me is real is real and sometimes it's very heavy and as i'm sharing that because what i'm sharing is where i believe that god is is compelling us as believers and compelling us as a as a body of believers is to really trust god to trust god at his word to trust god in his word to trust the holy spirit's leading us to put his word into practice and when I read the stuff that Jesus said to do, and we just kind of just, we, we milk toast it, we, we pansy it down, we rationalize it, we justify it, we make excuses to not do it, and that, that just twists me and crosses me so badly because in me God has placed an authority to say, no, we are going to do what Jesus said to do. We, he said that, I have given you the authority to do even more than I did to raise the dead, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to see the lost set free. Hallelujah. That's what we're called to do. I'm getting fired up, pumped up, and I'm ready to just take on anything. 
Uh, no, and I want us to do this together. This isn't me. This is all of us doing this together. So when this is happening and when Jesus deals with this stuff and Jesus says these things, I'm thinking, why do we come up with... Uh, I'm going to be nice. Why do, we, why do we concede to the rationale that is of this earth? And does not tap, why do we not tap into the power of God? Are we fearful? Is it, just, is it, is it because we just seem to like, uh, well, it just makes sense. And it's, 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 maybe it's politically correct. And maybe it's just, you know, it just doesn't ruffle feathers and rock boats. And it just helps me feel good. Times feeling good about ourselves is kind of like out the window, guys. I mean, we are we are in a time that we're forced to wear masks. We're we're forced to to have these. these we're so governmentally regulated that we just we, and yet and, and, and yet we concede to so much of it. What? So uh, I'm really wrestling with the, the and balancing the the concession of 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 I I am going to with everything in me everything in me trust the living word of God that has the power to impact to transform lives see people set free See, the lost saved. The Word of God is powerful and alive. Why do I kill it with my logical rationale? Or quench the Spirit with what seems to make sense? So I'm going to read this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read this, what Jesus said. And it ought to cross some of us up a little bit. Because it, wasn't, it doesn't make sense. It's not rational. So when he brought these, and they brought this thing to Jesus, he says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent. No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That's what Jesus said. How does that even, how do we even, how do we, how, how do we grapple with that? But Jesus, they were innocent. But Jesus, what, what did they do? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then Jesus takes it even a little bit farther. It's like, yeah, that was corrupt government. But then he says, well, hey, this applies also. What about those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them all? A freak accident. Do you think that they were worse sinners and offenders than any others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Hmm. You see why I have issue with... I'm not the only one. Some great preachers that I adhere to and buy what they're saying. Do you see why I have issue with the concession of, well, God allows it? That's not what Jesus said. He said, look at yourself. I tell you, unless you repent, you will perish. Listen to this commentary. I want to read it because it says it perfectly, and I think it's uh, right where we need to be and right where we need to hear. So perhaps this story of the Galileans might now be mentioned to Christ with the design of leading him into a snare, a trap, whether he should, he should justify or condemn the persons that were slain. Be this as it may, the scope and the connection of the passage, as well as Christ's answer, show that the persons who mentioned the case of the Galileans thought that God had allowed, or even worse, permitted them to be massacred at their devotions for some extraordinary wickedness, thus insinuating a very wrong idea of divine providence. And Jesus said, suppose you, suppose you, unless you repent. It's not, not only condemns the notion of this wrong idea of divine providence, but he told them expressly that these Galileans were not to be reckoned greater sinners than others because they had been overtaken by so severe a calamity and they were, and, and they were, uh, and he even exhorted them instead of forming harsh judgments on others from examples of sufferings to improve. Listen, and this is what he says, use, use what they're going through Unto yourself, repent. Repent. Do you see the bigger picture? So when I read Romans 8.28, to me it's a big picture. It's a big picture verse. God works all things. God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Do you see what He's saying? He's saying, be really, really careful that you get God right. His divine providence, His divine providence, and I know I have like two minutes left, and I want to try to sum it up if I can. And I, the way that, that, there's a wording that the Lord gave me a, a long time ago, is God is so sovereign that He gives man sovereignty. What did I just say? God is able to be so sovereign that He is the only, only creature or being that has the ability to give man sovereignty. All of us, free will. All of us. He gives us sovereignty. That's how sovereign He is. And it only makes sense in my spirit when I try to make sense of that in my mind, it baffles me. I'm not conceding to the devil. 
I'm not conceding to the devil's work. I'm not conceding to the devil's hand in your life or in my life or in this community's life or in our country's life. Let's pray. Let's gather together. Let's humble ourselves. Let's seek the face of the Lord. Let's listen to what His voice says. Let's, let's vote. Let's love. Let's be salt and let's be light. Because God has called us to. No longer say it is what it is. Say, God, what will you have me to do in this person's life to make an impact? The devil isn't giving up. He's not going to stop fighting until he takes as many down as he possibly can. Do not concede and say, well, God permitted it, God allowed it. No, say, no, the devil has no right to this person's soul. Whether it's my child, whether it's my neighbor, and they, they are confused in, in, in a cult, and whether I will not concede, I will be salt and light where God's placed me to be. And I guarantee you, you, you want to watch what, see what God does, it's going to be so much fun. You know, last night, we were, I was like, the kids went out, they wanted to go trick-or-treating. It's like, I've always felt like compelled I needed to stay at home so I can bless people that came to my door. I love it, I love it. There's somebody from church that came, they said, we want to go to Robin and Eric's neighborhood, they're not here today, but I just wanted to bless them. Another person that's like, hey, man, we just, we just love you guys at the salt mine. We just want to bless you. We got, he said, we got some money for you guys. Like, oh, great. So that wasn't about that, but what it was the best thing. The neighbor four doors down and across the street, his name is Matthew, and he says, hey, let's do this tomorrow. It's like, it's like what? He goes, Come over to my pool and baptize me. I need you to baptize me. It's like, I, I need you to do this. You know, this is what God's doing. He's moving in people, compelling them to God, drawing them to Him. What if I just like, I, I, I honestly, what if I wasn't home? No, no, no. Or, or what if I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a secret Christian here. It's like, oh, can't, let, can't let him know I'm a Christian in my neighborhood. Heck no, let him know that you represent the living God who loves you. And they'll come knocking on your door say, come baptize me. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, so at 3 o'clock today, I'm going to do baptism in his own backyard. So yeah. But God's doing that. God's using us. He's using you. He's using you. He's got a plan and a purpose for you that's good. That's good. Even in the midst of captivity, it's good. Even in the midst of corrupt government, it's good. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's finish up. Worship team and let's pray. And uh, Then we'll pray with you. If you have prayer need afterwards, stick around. Father God, I just thank you for your love for us. We all come to you and we just humbly say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that it's by your grace that we are saved. It's by your grace that we are saved. It's by your grace that we live and, and, and breathe and we move and we have, 
we have this life that you've called us and you have a good calling and you have plans and thoughts for us that are so good. I, I just love to go back to uh, read the creation story over and over and over again because everything you made, you said it was good. And it hasn't changed. We mess it up, but you are good and you are good and involved in our lives, making all things good, working all things to work for your glory and your goodness. And we thank you, Jesus, that it's so much bigger and greater than I can even comprehend, but it's by your Spirit that you reveal and you show us where we're called and who we are called to be and what we're called to do. And we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And as our brother Alfonso said, but we need your help to believe you and to trust you. We need your help in dealing with our unbelief and our distrust. So we're asking you, Holy Spirit, help us to trust you, help us to believe you, help us to love you, love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.